Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mackie Lozano. Today we listen to the words of Jeanne Gobi from her beautiful book, Listening to God with Children. We have for you today part of chapter 5 and part of chapter 6 as a way to help prepare ourselves for the beginning of the year in the atrium with children. These pages that we have read include pages 41 through 53. Then Mary Marioni, our national director, joins us for a short discussion on this reading, lifting up some of the important pieces from this beautiful work. This precious book of Jana's has unfortunately been out of print for about two years. We have been actively working on a new book, which will contain Jana's legacy with updated information and new content. We hope to have this published by next spring, 2024. We will be keeping everyone informed through our member memos and the In the Meadow emails, which come monthly to our members. I hope you enjoy. Listening to God with Children by Jean Agobi. Chapter 5. The section, How to Begin with a Group of Children. At the beginning, it is necessary to help the children orient themselves to the environment in order to make it their own, practice focused, controlled movements of particular importance for the younger child, and correctly use the objects and materials in order to achieve independence and concentration in their work, and to learn to respect the independence and concentration of the other children. If the group of younger children is large, we might have four or five children come to the atrium at a time for the first three or four weeks. Once the separate groups are acclimated to the environment, the whole group can be formed. Also, for very young children, we begin with shorter sessions of 45 minutes to an hour and gradually increase the time up to two or two and a half hours. The longer amount of time will become essential in order for them to enter fully into the rhythm of the atrium. This rhythm usually includes a time for gathering and settling, a short presentation, the time for the Christian proclamation, a much longer work time, a time for the children to put their things away and restore the environment without rush, And finally, a time to gather as a group and end the day together with song and prayer. From the first meetings with the children, it will be important to establish certain norms of behavior in the atrium, such as how we speak in a soft voice, how we move carefully so as not to disturb others, and so forth. In the atrium, we will have only a few rules, but these rules will be firmly observed. It is not strange to the children, nor should it be to us as adults, that such a special place 
where one is to meet God in a particular way, requires of us special ways of moving, speaking, and interacting with each other. In the beginning, we need to present these behavioral practices to the children in a formal way. Later, as the children become accustomed to the environment and are self-directed in their work, these behaviors tend to become second nature. In the atrium, there's no longer teacher's desks occupying the front center of the room. Instead, the catechist will have a small chair and table like those of the children, situated in an area of the room that allows the catechist to observe the children and make the catechist easily accessible to the children who may come to him or her for help. For the Christian proclamation, which is made each time the children come to the atrium, it is customary to have the children bring their own chairs to form a circle. How to carry a chair is one of the early movement lessons. Sometimes for solemn celebrations or special presentations, it can be helpful for the children to find their chairs already arranged. For some individual or small group presentations, the children gather where the materials that interest them is displayed, such as near the model altar or the baptism area. Other presentations require that the catechist bring a material to a table, such as the infancy narratives, the parables of the kingdom, and so forth. For their personal work, the younger children like to work at a small, individual-sized table, or else they will spread a small rug or mat on the floor on which to place their work. For this reason, one of the rules of the atrium will be to walk carefully around the mats so as not to disturb the other children's work. Finally, in beginning with a group of younger children, there are three particular areas we focus on. Controlled movement, practical life activities, and silence exercises. In a Montessori children's house, these areas of work with the children are fundamental because they place in clear, harmonious relationship the I of the child and the child's external reality. Furthermore, in the atrium, the children become aware that the ability to control themselves, to perfect themselves, and to live harmoniously with others directly serves their relationship with God. In an atrium, which is part of a Montessori children's house, it is not necessary to focus as much on formal lessons in these areas because they form part of the child's daily school life. Still, it is important to note that in the atrium, the children seem to find the fullest meaning or expression of what they have learned in the regular Montessori environment. In these areas of controlled movement, practical life, and silence exercises, we are given a further opportunity to observe the children and to discern how best to help them in their personal development. Furthermore, each of these areas of controlled movement, practical life, and silence plays its part in the creation of the atrium environment, in the work of the children, and in the overall atmosphere of concentration, meditation, and prayer. These areas are so important that we have addressed them in separate sections in this book. 
Chapter 6 Welcoming the Children The First Day It is important in working with the children to begin in the right way in the very first meeting. The catechist will have already come to know the children and their families. He or she will have carefully prepared the environment for the children, as well as himself or herself, to be with the children and God in the atrium. The following suggestions are offered for the first atrium session as helps for the children to become acclimated to the atrium environment and for the atrium community to organize itself. If possible, we will choose a gathering space near but outside the atrium. Here we will greet the children and invite them to sit down. While waiting for the other children to arrive, we engage them in simple conversation to get acquainted with each other. During this gathering time, we also invite them to put themselves in order. Hands clean, hair combed, shoes tied, etc., These formalities are not always necessary, but they underline the importance of the encounter. We name the place they have come to as the atrium, and we identify it as a place specially prepared for us to come to know God better. Calling the children each by name in a whisper, we invite them to enter the atrium and choose a chair on which to sit. We might show them how to carry their own chair to the circle, or we might have the chairs already placed in a circle. Once all are seated, we point out to them some of the different areas of the atrium, such as the model altar, the baptism corner, the geography and infancy narrative area that help us learn about his birth, and so forth. We give special emphasis to the prayer corner. We continue our introductory talk about the atrium. Why have we come here? What will we do here? Talk about God. Listen to God. Work and sing and pray and some things we will do here to come to know God better. In this first encounter, we will go on to demonstrate some of the ways we will move and act in this special place. These kinds of demonstrations will be done every time the children come to the atrium, especially in the early weeks. Their aim is to help the children become familiar with the environment and function comfortably within it. For the first day, we are sure to include how to speak softly and move slowly and carefully, how to greet one another, where to get a drink or go to the bathroom, and so forth. Our time together as at most atrium sessions, ends at the prayer corner. Depending on the readiness of the group, we might prepare the prayer table together on the first day, making a special procession to carry the articles for the table, the appropriately colored cloth, which is usually green at this time since we begin the atrium year in ordinary time before Advent, the Bible, candles, perhaps a sacred image, and some flowers. At the prayer corner, we light the candles and perhaps read a short psalm phrase. After a brief time of silence, prayer, and a song, we say goodbye to each other and the children go home.
the dismissal time needs to be conducted in the same quiet, orderly way as the rest of the atrium session. The catechist might remain with the children at the prayer table singing while an assistant signals quietly to the catechist as each parent arrives. And the catechist in turn dismisses the respective child. This method of dismissal is often preferable as it avoids the potential restlessness of children who have to stand around and wait for parents who might be late. Otherwise, the catechist might take all the children together to the place where the parents will pick them up. As we have said, all these formalities help us to begin a good work with the children. We will perhaps be surprised at how much self-discipline the children are capable of having and how happy they are to have it. Respect for the rules of behavior, which we call forth from the first day, will help to create an atmosphere of work that favors meditation and prayer. Finally, we might note that in subsequent years, there will be less of a need on our part to teach the formalities because the children who are already acclimated to the environment will teach the new children. Movement Exercises The movement exercises, or lessons of controlled movement, help the children gain control of their bodies and correctly use the things in the environment. The following are some of the movements the catechist might demonstrate in the early weeks of the atrium. How to carry a chair. How to sit. How to roll out and put away a floor mat. How to walk around the mats placed on the floor where another child might be working. The catechist demonstrates these movements slowly and deliberately using few words. The aim is to make the movement itself visible and clear to the child so that he or she can readily repeat it. If done well, these movement lessons are very pleasing and interesting to the children. In addition to helping the child gain independence and self-confidence, they help to establish the behavioral practices which are necessary for the smooth functioning of the atrium as a community. The catechist will need to decide the specific movement exercises that are called for according to the particular physical and social characteristics of the atrium. Maria Montessori wrote in the Manual of Scientific Pedagogy, Teaching how to move is the key to obtaining discipline and order in the class. The more movements that are taught, the more we advance towards the goal of permitting an orderly expansion of the small child's activity. Therefore, let the instructor teach all those movements which intervene at every instance in daily life such as moving a chair, standing up and sitting down, picking up and setting down objects, gathering things that have fallen and replace them carefully, offering an object to another person, opening the door, letting someone pass by, and so on. The movement exercise is harmoniously uniting mind and muscle, prepare the way to self-control the possession of free will and a natural obedience. 
They lead to concentration and finally to meditation, which forms the basis of prayer. Thus, the control of movements which can be gained through these exercises is an enormous help to the child. It is important, however, that we not interpret these exercises as having the limited objective of maintaining discipline and order in the class. These exercises correspond to a deep, vital need in the child for order. They give the child a sense of self-mastery and thus self-confidence, calling him or her to repetition of the exercise and to greater concentration. To gain a deeper understanding of the importance of the movement exercises, one is advised to read in Montessori's books, The Secret of Childhood, Chapter 15, Movement, The Discovery of the Child, Chapter 6, Education and Movement, and The Absorbent Mind, Chapter 13, The Importance of Movement and General Development. In these chapters, Montessori stresses the importance of movement in the psychic makeup of the child and in the development of life in human society. The importance of movement in religious formation is perhaps best expressed in the prayer of a particular child in the atrium. My body is happy. It is also necessary for us as adults to control our movements and gestures especially in order to be centered and focused in prayer. Thus, we too are helped by the movement exercises. Practical Life Activities Often when the children come to the atrium, they bring some flowers. We take the opportunity to show them how to arrange the flowers in a vase and place them on the prayer table or at some chosen spot in the atrium. Flower arranging is one among many other works which Montessori referred to as practical life activities. These activities have to do with the care of one's person and the care of the environment. In a Montessori children's house, the children spend a goodly amount of time on these activities. Practical life activities offer the opportunity for intelligent work. They correspond to the child's need for movement, order, and independence. For this reason, it is very important that we, adults, not view the practical life activities merely as the duty or personal responsibility of the child in helping to keep the environment in good order. Rather, we must understand that the practical life activities fulfill a deep need in the child, especially in the younger child and also are directly connected to the religious life of the child. Knowing how to use objects correctly, how to carry things, how to care for one's surroundings, and so forth, all share an aim that goes beyond physical functioning. Both the movement exercises and the practical life activities nurture wholeness in the child. The children carry out these activities with joy, they live a religious experience in the totality of their persons. We have all noted how very young children want to participate in the activities they see adults doing. Why? These activities are part of the daily life of every child since birth. 
Just as the child absorbs language, so does the child absorb the actions or activities of the culture surrounding him or her, particularly those which are carried out in the daily life of the family. The child of only one or two years has already begun observing and absorbing these practical life activities. He or she has already begun to understand the meaning of some objects and their use and is able to associate the objects with the people who use them. The young child even has rudimentary control of his or her own movements and is trying to participate in the family's activities. The child is no longer satisfied just to watch these activities going on. Rather, he or she now has an irresistible urge to do the activities as they correspond to a vital need within. The child wants to repeat and to accomplish the task for the profound and internal satisfaction of improvement. In the process of doing the task, in both the repetition of the task and its accomplishment. The child builds his or her own sense of security. When the adult prevents the work, interrupts it, or interferes in it, the adult distracts the child from his or her normal path of development. The work of the adult, therefore, is that of creating the conditions which are conducive to the child's development. As the child continues to absorb the surroundings, the child begins to imitate adults and, with great effort, progresses towards the ability to master the environment. In her book, The Absorbent Mind, in the chapter on Development and Imitation, Montessori writes, The important thing is that before the child can imitate, he must be prepared for doing so. And this preparation derives from the effort he has been making. The child carries out the practical life exercises not just because they are useful, but because through them, the child experiences the profound internal satisfaction of growing in independence and of integrating intelligence, will, and movement. Indirectly, these activities help to consolidate and develop coordination of movement through exercises and much repetition. Children want and need to occupy themselves with these activities. Furthermore, they want to do them alone because the activity has as its aim a work and the work has as its aim independence. Children have a natural drive towards independence and ask of us, however indirectly or even silently, help me do it myself. Practical life activities are not limited to domestic tasks, such as cleaning and other household jobs that serve individual human life. These activities have a broader aim in that they involve work in the service of others. We can set forth the principle that human work does not have the singular purpose of survival and physical well-being. Rather, in those who believe, Work becomes a service that transcends them. It becomes service to God. Recalling her first experience in the field of religious formation of children in Barcelona, Maria Montessori said that the children manifested a new dignity and joy in performing practical life activities within a religious environment. 
It was as if in that particular environment, they had found the purpose of all they had practiced in school. Mary Marioni, we are so happy that you are back on the podcast with me. Always a pleasure, Carrie. So we just listened to part of chapter five and part of chapter six of Jeanne Gobi's Listening to God with Children that really speaks into that beginning of the atrium year and how to set the space up in a way that makes it very fruitful. So I wanted to ask you from those parts that we just read, what points that Jana made, do you really want us, that you want to highlight for us, that you really want to stick out to us to make sure that we heard? You know, Carrie, I, I, I mean, she gives us such wisdom. And I think the most important thing that she reminds us of is that this is a place of encounter, right? The meeting of the two mysteries, God and the child. And Gianna says that the catechist creates the physical environment, which we do. But above all, the catechist must create a spiritual environment that is conductive to helping the children and the adults within that environment to be attentive and responsive to God's presence. Because that's really what we're doing, mm-hmm. right? And and that's why it's so important, um, particularly in these first days with the children, that we're focused on this, you know, this place of encounter, which is time and space, right? So we look at the logistics, which in these two chapters, certainly Jana really gives us some very practical wisdom. And she says, I think multiple times, right, that it's important when we're working with children to begin in the right way from the very first. And so what does that look like? What are the things to remember? And, and often when we're as catechists, you know, we're focused on preparing the environment, making sure we have everything that needs to be in there. And that is a lot of work. But she reminds us that we really need to come to know the family. Like, so what is the preparation that happens even before the children come so that we have that? We've, we've in some way met with the, the family, met with the parents and the caregivers. Um, and then, of course, yes, carefully preparing that environment. But then, and I, I think we have a tendency to maybe rush through this next part, which is, and she gives more detail, but, you know, we're having like half the children coming half the time, like it's a very slow entry. Those children who are returning, certainly they come, they're there with us, but the new ones, they can come maybe halfway through. Or if it's a whole new group of children, you know, we split split the group in half and have, have them come just for a short amount of time so that we can do some work with them and they're happy. Mm-hmm. And then they can go home and come back again next time. And over the next few weeks, maybe, you know, four to six weeks, they have this gentle um, orientation to the environment so that they can make it their own, mm-hmm. right? And, and what we're doing in that time is is important, certainly. We're practicing controlled movement, which, of course, will you know, you might unite the the body, mind, and spirit, right? And it it prepares the way for self-control so that they can do these things. We're showing them again and again, like I don't know how many times I'll say, um, you know, even in that first half of the year, let's remember how we carry a Mm. chair. 
Oh, let me show you again how we carry a chair. Because everything does need to be used correctly so that they can have independence, right? And their independence will allow them to have concentration, and concentration leads to contemplation, right? And they learn how to respect this process in others as well, everyone there. Right. You know? In those beautiful ways of the atrium that you're talking about of, you know, how we walk in the atrium, how we talk in the atrium, how we move a chair, right. do a rug, all of those things, walk around a rug all that Jeanette things. talks about in, in these chapters. Those are so good to remember whenever you feel like mm -hmm. your atrium is kind of spiraling a little bit. It usually, right. in my experience at least, it, you have to go back to these these things, ways of the atrium. Right. And then it's just so right. beautiful, especially for level one, because that's where I am mostly, to see these 13, yeah. 14, uh, three, four, and five-year-olds, six-year-olds complete in contemplation because they have absorbed right. this ways of the atrium, this right. control of movement right. that Jana is talking about that allows them to right. then sink right. into it. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, just that, like, everything we do leads to prayer. We know that. But sometimes, like, we'll really hold that so much that we don't actually give them space to enter into it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like we'll start outside maybe with some things and so, and then we'll go to the prayer table and we'll pray and then we'll let them do some work. And then we come back to the prayer table. And really, if we can just, you know, gently help in all these ways that Jana speaks about. And so really it's just at the end of our time together, we're at the prayer table now because we have done all this work that leads us to prayer. And then we can have even just a beautiful time of silence. Mm. Just, just be together in the silence with him. You know, that's, that's really, that's really what we're about, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and, and you know, that, that, in, that also means for us that we're getting there way before the children so that we have time for us to also enter into where we need to be so we can be there with them and for them. And so how do we prepare ourselves? You know, it, we didn't look at that in, in these two chapters because it's in, um, I think, the second chapter on the adult. But, you know, Gianna said that we should always do, before the children come, an examination of right. conscience, particularly looking for pride and anger within ourselves. And, the you know, the pride coming from overvaluing our part in forming the child and the anger rises when the child doesn't respond the way we expect. Mm -hmm. And if we can be in that space before they ever arrive and really look at that within us and then be ready to greet them and welcome them, always looking at helping them have this independence and this concentration so that they may have this contemplation. Like that's what we're there right. for, right? Right. I know. I love that. That's my favorite Jean Gobi quote. It's, it's from page 15 about the adult, the examination of conscience. And I would say that that's the next check whenever you feel like your atrium is kind of spiraling. It's the adult. Right. There's something wrong. Right. My expectations, my pride, my anger, what have I brought into this atrium space? Um, my emotions, all right. of that. 
So doing like what you mm-hmm. said of arriving early to prepare not only the space, but also myself. Um, mm-hmm. It's a great, a great way to help with that. Mm-hmm. I like to walk around the atrium and invite the Holy Spirit into this mm-hmm. space and into, mm-hmm. into myself, into my very being as well. Pray for each mm-hmm. of the children by name. Just have some time of prayer before the children even arrive as a way of preparing. Mm. It, these are beautiful chapters. These are great, great words from Jana that she has given us to help us as we get ready for this new atrium of the year that we're all about to start in. Um, so many gems throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Well, Mary, is there anything else that you would like to lift up before we finish? Um, I think I just want to, you know, let everybody who's listening know that um, I'm holding all of them in mm-hmm. prayer too, that as we, as we come to welcome the children that, you know, we can, we can say with our good shepherd, you know, like how he was filled with joy and, and what, how did he say? Um, I think it's in Matthew. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and have revealed them to the children. And and then he goes on to talk to the apostles and he says, you know, prophets and kings have longed to see what you mm-hmm. see. And they didn't see it. And we, we live that with the children in the atrium. Prophets and kings have longed to see what mm-hmm. we see. So let's praise the Father with our Good Shepherd for the children He continues to send us. And, you know, the privilege of being with these, the greatest in the kingdom. Hmm. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. Don't forget that we have the audio version of The Religious Potential of the Child by Sophia Cavaletti, read by Rebecca Royt Savage, available to you. If you would like to purchase access to the Podbeam premium channel that allows you to listen to all the chapters of the third edition of this great book, check out our show notes for directions on how to do that. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. We would like to thank all of our contributing members because you are making this podcast possible. If you would like to know more about the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you would like to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.